0: Hi there, and welcome to How to Choose, Season 2. The show that helps you make better decisions and improve your judgment. Thanks for joining us. I'm Ken.
1: And I'm Tessa. In this, our second season of How to Choose, we're exploring the topic of decisions at work. We're joined by a range of guests who speak about decision-making in the context of their work.
0: Yeah, look, I found this season fascinating to make, Tess. Um, as we sat down, we we thought, you know, let's try and find a bunch of people who are doing interesting jobs who have to make different kinds of decisions under different kinds of, of you know, situations. I've got a question for you to kick us off in this episode. How do you think you make decisions under pressure?
1: That's a really hard one, Ken. I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm tooting my own horn, but I think I'm pretty good <laughs> at making decisions <laughs> under pressure. Yeah. I'm an even-tempered person, pretty relaxed. And I tend not to get flustered even when there is a bit of pressure. But you know me pretty well. We've worked together.
0: I have seen you under pressure and I have been surprised at how calm you are. So yes, I think I would agree. I think you're pretty calm and cool under pressure. Well, today we're going to hear from someone who regularly has to make decisions under very high pressure, where the stakes are sometimes life and death. Jono Holmes is a senior paramedic here in the Australian Capital Territory, the ACT. And we're going to listen to what Jono has to say about intuition, about decision-making under pressure. Pressure, and we'll get a bit of a flavor of what life as a paramedic is really like.
1: I'm really looking forward to this one, Ken. I think it's going to be illuminating
0: our guest on today's show is Jono Holmes, who is a paramedic here in Canberra. And I must say, I I kind of think of paramedics as superheroes. So I'm I'm very excited to chat to Jono today. So welcome, Jono.
2: Yeah, thanks very much. I I can rip that bandaid off for you if you like.
0: (laughs) I was going to say you haven't worn your cape, but I'm sure it's there somewhere. (laughs) Now, if you don't mind, can we start with the obvious question, Jono? And that is, did you always want to become a paramedic? And what drew you to this career?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, The the short answer is no. For a long time, it didn't enter my mind at all. I never had any burning ambitions as a a little tacker or anything like that. Um, It was completely off my radar. You weren't Um,
0: sticking Band-Aids onto kids in the neighbourhood or resuscitating
2: random strangers? No. No, 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 not at all. My my older sister is a general practitioner, but even as she was doing that, I never really thought about anything medical. Um, I've done a bunch of different things. I did an arts degree when I first went to uni. I then went back and trained as a primary school teacher. Um, I worked in the public service here for a few years in Canberra when we moved to Canberra. And then after trying a few different careers, obviously, and never really feeling super satisfied anywhere, I sat down one day and said, well, what do I want to do? Not, Not as a career title, but what do I want to get out of a job? And I wrote down this big list of things that I enjoyed doing and got satisfaction from. Things like helping people, um, working in a range of different environments, working outdoors, um, I'm people with people, so something to do with people. And I had this big list, and I have no idea how it happened, but just kind of like in the back of my mind, like working as a paramedic kind of coalesced. And yeah. so after a long-winded way of doing all this, I, I chatted with someone who was in the service here, and they said, you know, we're actually recruiting at the moment. We haven't recruited for six years. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe yeah. you should put your name. So, yeah. so long story short, I did. But it was really out of that looking at what I wanted out of a career rather than saying I want to be a teacher or I want to go and do something like a career title. It was like, what are the aspects of a job that attract me? And, and some of those things lined up with, with paramedicine and here I am.
0: And so as you mentioned, so it's partly what you wanted, but it sounds like also a bit of a, a reflection on what your skills were. Uh, as you said, those people skills, which I imagine must be very very important in the role. I think the image that I have is often of somebody dealing with someone who's not conscious, but it's the people who are conscious and who are in distress that often um, will require you to use those people skills.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we'll probably come back to it a few things throughout the chat, Ken, but it's hard for me to explain to someone who's not in the job that Those high-end, really critical patients, the unconscious patient or the the really seriously unwell patient, are a tiny fraction of the work that we do. The, The vast, vast majority of the cases that we get sent to are people with relatively minor injuries or illnesses and a lot of the time it's people who need a bit of support in in, in a good way for your podcast need some help making decisions and and problem yeah. solving the situation that they find themselves in. That really high-end critical care stuff is a, is a, a tiny fraction of the work we do.
0: Oh that's very interesting. Now you reference uh, decision making there and I, I suppose again from an outsider's perspective I think about paramedic work and I think I can can't imagine any job that would require a person to make more high stakes and urgent decisions than a paramedic. And even as you've said, look, maybe it's not always, uh, you know, super traumatic, urgent situations, but can you talk about how your training prepares you for that kind of decision making, that sort of high pressure decision making?
2: Yeah, it's a challenge. Can. And, and certainly one of the challenges of the job is that you have to be able to make those decisions and perform well in those cases, even though they're very rare. So that's one of the challenges of the job is that the vast majority of your time, you're not in that position. But when you are in that position, you have to be able to perform well, and you have to execute those decisions well. I've come in. I've been in the job for about 13 years. So I'm with the, the ACT ambulance service, which is separate to New South Wales. Each state and jurisdiction has their own service. It's probably worth me mentioning just at this point here. I'm I'm just speaking to you, Ken, as a paramedic. I'm not authorised on behalf of the service. I'm not speaking on behalf of the service here today. So these yeah. are just my my personal reflections, obviously. But each each jurisdiction, up until quite recently. Gave each paramedic vocational training, so you didn't need a degree. So when I entered, I I spent three months in a classroom, and then they put me on an ambulance. So wow. they took me off the street. We got we got some theory thrown at us for for a couple of months, and then we were out in an ambulance driving to cases. You know, from that point on, the training now is quite different, and you do a, a three year degree. Often it's a four year degree. Combined with nursing, I'm at a lot of universities. But you do a three year degree, then you go and do a graduate internship with a service. So, usually between one and two years of mentoring and training in that initial period you're employed. And then you Get qualified as at a, at a certain level, and then you can go on to, to further levels from there. So, my training is probably slightly different to what current paramedics are going through. But what I would say is the job requires both the application of some pretty clear protocols in those high end jobs, where clearly, if a patient is presenting in a certain way, you follow a set of protocols to make sure that you're treating them in the most appropriate way. But then the experience that you develop through being mentored and working with other experienced paramedics, and then as you become an experienced paramedic, that experience of those different situations also informs the decision-making points that you you make throughout those cases. So to be a really good paramedic, I think it's, it's a combination of all this theory training that you get at the start of your career combined with the experience of other paramedics and your own experience when you're in those situations.
0: That's really interesting. And listen, we have chatted briefly before about that whole concept of intuition. And I, and I know it's something that Tess and I have talked about uh, in, in our last season where Gary Klein, who's done a lot of research in that space, talks about it as expertise put into practice. And so his Theory really is that that expertise allows you to recognize patterns, and sometimes it's maybe even subconscious that you're identifying a a range of subtle cues that guide you in your decision making. Is that something you can relate to? Have there been times at at which your experience goes beyond what you can consciously uh, recognize and explain?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I I listened to that episode, and when that little explanation of intuition came out, I'd never thought of it in explicit terms like that, but it rang. incredibly true for me. Um, it was something I really got out of that episode from the two of you. And if you spoke to any experienced paramedic, they would agree with theory behind that. And I've thought a little bit about how that actually happens. And it's little building blocks along your career keep getting put in place. And so I think when you first start out, you know, if someone's just finished their degree now and they're out as a graduate paramedic, their first year working in an ambulance, actually going to real jobs. You're not just in a classroom room or a lab with a mock-up mannequin that you're working on, you're actually going to real patients. You tend to fall back very heavily on those protocols or the guidelines that you're given. So if the patient has this, then I'm going to do that. But with more experience, you can sometimes bypass some of that. You can recognize a patient who is ill faster without necessarily going through this step-by-step process so much. Sometimes you'll find yourself, though, when there is a really seriously unwell patient, if you're a bit unsure or under stress in that moment, you know, we work in a very unpredictable environment. So there's a lot of different stresses on us at different times. The protocols and and guidelines that we work to sort of underpin the work. And I've found them useful that if my intuition or my natural way of treating someone I, I'm not feeling I'm getting the result that I want or i'm I'm just a bit out of my depth then you fall back onto the protocols more heavily and you say right well we're just going to step through this in a in a more sequential way than I might ordinarily work in this particular environment.
0: That is fascinating. Can I ask: do the protocols and resources allow you to consult people, and you've got limited time to do that? But have you got a team around you usually, or do you have people that you can call and say, "Hey, listen, we're not sure what's going on here"?
2: There are some limited opportunities to do that. They're different. Again, I'm speaking. Very, I've only ever worked in in the Canberra service in the ACT service, so my my knowledge of different services is is a bit limited. Certainly, I know in services that have big rural jurisdictions, New South Wales, Queensland, pretty much any other service in Australia than the ACT, there is a lot more opportunity to consult because you might have a quite junior paramedic hundreds of kilometres away from the nearest support that they have. So they would use some of those resources a bit more readily. In the ACT here, it is interesting. uh, Paramedicine is a very flat hierarchy. So it's not like in a hospital where you have junior doctors and there's levels and levels and levels of expertise on top of each other. In the ACT, we have a graduate paramedic who's just come straight out of uni. You then qualify and become what's called an ambulance paramedic. So that's a, a mid-tier level. They've got a range of skills, pharmacology that they can administer and things like that. And then on top of that, you have intensive care paramedic. And that's it. There's There's three levels. You know, if you are an intensive care paramedic, that's the level that I'm at. I've been um, working at that level for about eight years now. We're essentially the people that get called for backup. So right. when we get called there, mm-hmm. there's not there's not a consult that we get to make. Yeah. Um, there's a few cases people who are having heart attacks. We will will make the decisions on the scene and diagnose that using a you know a cardiac monitor, um, looking at a strip of ECG, taking a history, and so on. But we will then send that to the hospital and a cardiologist will Confirm whether the patient's actually having a, having a heart attack, and get the the process in the hospital started before we arrive. So that's just a good way of speeding up treatment time. But there's not many other options where we have to call a phone a friend and, and uh, get some extra help. So it's usually it's it's the two of you on scene. Sometimes four of you if there's two ambulances sent to a to a complicated case. But typically you've got to work it out amongst yourselves.
0: Very interesting. It does remind me. Also, I guess of a conversation Tess and I were having, I don't want to keep plugging my own show, but uh, (laughs) we were chatting about the challenge of dealing with urgent tasks. And it could be obviously in an extreme situation like you're dealing with, or it could be something fairly mundane where you're sitting at a computer and someone's emailing you to help out with something. But part of the challenge, I think, is the skill of being able to triage and work out if you are the person to help and to what extent you should be lending a hand. So your situation is a very particular expression of that. But I mean, if someone comes to me in the office and says, Ken, you know, can you help us with this? I mean, I'm more than happy to bat people away in different directions. For you, it's a tougher decision to make, but it sounds as though your protocol still defines some limit around what your roles are. Is is that correct?
2: It, it is. And some of those decision-making processes in, in the context of our work Work are really critical like when something goes wrong on a on a job when a, when a case doesn't run the way that it should invariably there's there's a constellation of factors that have contributed to the errors that occur but almost always when those cases are reviewed some of the key things that come out uh, the things that you would label under human factors, really, which I'm sure you're familiar with. And it's something that paramedicine is um, starting to incorporate into their training and trying to help paramedics make better decisions. But it comes down to things like task allocation and communication within the team. It might it might only be three or four of you on scene that are working, but you know errors occur because one paramedic thought the other paramedic was doing something and that paramedic thought you were doing it because that wasn't communicated or the task wasn't clearly articulated. So those sort of errors can happen. And do occasionally happen. And they're the sort of things that your training and the training of ambulance services is trying to work on minimising. And so it's not always the case where you can follow a protocol. There are times where you need to work around a protocol. You need to make sure that the members of the team are working to that protocol, but that that's communicated clearly and it's it's clear who's doing what in any particular situation.
0: Wow. And as I said early on, most people listening will have a certain images of what life looks like for you and it's been very illuminating to hear you shed a bit of light on what reality is like for you you know obviously there's an element to work that must be exhausting it must be at times heartbreaking but are there any particularly special memories where you feel like wow that's something i will never forget
2: yeah yeah i mean of of course there are again you, you watch some of the shows that we're now producing on tv i mean some are better than others but they always want to focus on the super exciting the traumatic yeah. car accident or the yeah. the life changing intervention and so on and and naturally that's the way that they try and present those shows. And the reality is every now and then you you do a case like that. But again, the reality is that's very much the minority of the work you do. I mean, I what I have got out of the job that I really enjoy is working with people to, to solve a problem, to help people that are that are stuck and who need help in that moment. And there might be the, the really mundane run-of-the-mill things. We walk into a situation and to ask, we're like, do you really need an ambulance? We probably, <laughs> probably could have worked this out without an ambulance, right? But you have to sort of step back and say, in this moment, the people in this situation got to a point where they didn't know what to do and they've yep. called us to help. And we can usually help in that situation. I mean, the job the job is a privilege. We get to do amazing things. You know, I've been into all sorts of crazy buildings. I've been into like high security government buildings in bits of Parliament House that you would never go into as a lay person. You know, I've been lowered out of buildings by the fire brigade with their big wow. ladder and things like that but I think if particularly in in Australian jurisdictions if you get into the job because you're a massive adrenaline junkie and you want to be chasing car accidents and you know major trauma and all these sort of things that you think about you'll actually get bored with the job that's that's not what the job is about those jobs are exciting they get your adrenaline pumping and you can make a really big difference occasionally but they're just they're, they're a small part of our, our job you know I feel one of the things about the job is we're really privileged we get invited into people's home yeah. um, all sorts of walks of life um, some homes you'd rather not go into um, yeah. <laughs> but, but you get to go into amazing places like I, I did a job once this was years ago an old man called because he was having chest pains and thought he was having a heart attack it was two o'clock in the in the morning so i went there with my partner we put the ecg monitor on and checked him out and it was fairly clear that he wasn't having a heart attack fairly early on and he was probably having some kind of anxiety or panic attack which anyone who has anxiety and panic attacks they're serious issues and and can cause you to feel really bad, but he wasn't having a heart attack. So it wasn't, you know, a critical case at that point. So we ended up making him a cup of tea. We sat down, we're chatting with him. He must have been, you know, in his 90s. Wow. Um, and I noticed a photo on the wall in his living room, and it was a, a Lancaster bomber, you know, World mm. War II bomber. And I just chatted to him about, uh, about it. Oh, what's that photo about? And he's like, that's the bomber that I flew in, in World War wow. II. And I was like, you were in that bomber. And, you know, we chatted with this man who was in his 90s, about some of his experiences in the war and, you know, he had a cup of tea and we just checked everything out with all our equipment and everything and he he was fine and and we were able to help him relax a bit and he, he started feeling a lot better. We, you know, we didn't take him to hospital. We just went back to bed that night. Yeah. But I would never have had an opportunity to chat with someone like that about their experiences in a war, you know, 70 years ago uh, at, at the time when this was on. And, you know, that little job, which is inconsequential, I, I didn't give him any medication. I didn't treat him for anything. I didn't take him to hospital. But that's an amazing job that that stays with me just because of the privilege I have of meeting someone who needed some help that wasn't, they weren't drugs or they weren't, you know, a trip to the hospital. It was just a bit of reassurance, really.
0: Jono, listen, it's been a real pleasure chatting with you. I guess just a final uh, question for you. If someone's listening, and I'm sure they've picked up a whole bunch of advice, but if someone's listening and thinking, look, I might want to become a paramedic, what would be some key points that you would get them to consider as they're working through that decision?
2: I really enjoy the job. It's a profession that requires a whole range of different skills. That's something that really attracted me to the job and something that I find rewarding about it is that you need to implement skills from a whole range of different areas. So you need to be really good at communication. you communication skills are the most important thing. But you need to be sort of a problem solver because you get into these unusual situations and you need to think of solutions and think of solutions in a range of different contexts. So we have to be Treating the patient clinically with drugs or interventions that we're doing with them, but then you also have to think about how am I getting this person out of their house, down three flights of stairs, into my ambulance, and safely to hospital. So there's a whole range of like practical skills and you know logical thinking skills that you have to apply in a, in a range of different environments. So that combination of using all those different skills is something that I think you need to be able to develop over time. But you need to be able to do all of those things. To be a a really good paramedic. I guess life experience definitely helped me I, I came into the job a bit later in life. but the majority of people that are coming into the job now are coming in often straight out of school doing a degree and then coming out so you can't really get life experience without doing it but I, my advice for people who are thinking about it is to try and find some paramedics and talk to them about the job because it's very hard to understand what the job is like until you're doing it and so speaking to some people who have the experience you might be able to get a little bit more information from them.
0: Listen that's fantastic and you have been very generous generous with your time and I think you've given all of us some really fascinating insights into the work that you do and I'd like to finish just by saying thank you for the work you do as a Canberra resident I haven't had to call on you on your assistance yet but I've often thought to myself when I'm out running if things don't go well if I'm glad Jono's out there <laughs> you can come and pick me up and apply the uh, heart starter again and, and get me going. So no, thank you so much.
2: Well, you're, you're very welcome. And we really enjoy being able to help the community. It's one of the great things about our job. And um, thanks for having me along for a chat. I've enjoyed it.
0: Thanks, Jono. So Tessa, what did you think about what Jono had to say? Did you enjoy that?
1: I really enjoyed it. But to be honest, it was very different to what I expected.
0: Okay. So how so? What were you thinking?
1: Look, I, re- I really thought there was going to be more blood and guts <laughs> oh yeah
0: i have to i have to agree actually i was a little disappointed when john said that he didn't spend too much of his time jumping out of buildings and saving people yeah that that was it that was surprising
1: yeah you had an image in your mind of, i had of, an image
0: yeah. yeah the bubble as he said I've, i'll i'm gonna rip off that band-aid yeah for you ken <laughs> i like the fact that he used a paramedic metaphor yeah uh, for the- <laughs>
1: I mean, it was just the, the profession is much broader than I ever imagined. Really, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I sort of had the bubble burst for me a little bit just a few weeks ago because I did a first aid course. Oh, so you're um, pretty
0: much uh, up to speed with all the paramedics. Yeah, work. I mean, me
1: and Jono we're basically <laughs> yeah very know, similar kind spirits. of skills. yeah yeah. yeah. I, I'll also look after you if you have oh, if you're running and you you know your heart's you. a bit your ticker's getting a bit <laughs> overstrained. I'm,
0: Excellent, good.
1: I'll call an ambulance. <laughs> thank you. Yeah,
0: thank you. <laughs> um,
1: but at this course, they were. Uh, People were reflecting uh, on their experiences with, you know, medical emergencies. Mm. And one person actually was saying how they were giving resuscitation to someone and they were really shocked when the ambulance arrived and the paramedics calmly walked over to them. Oh. Um, and he was, they was just like, what are you doing? There's a person dying. <laughs> um, and we were just like so shocked. But the trainers explained like, no, they're never going to run to the scene oh. because they're, then they're going to be stressed. Their heart's going to be beating fast. Oh. They'll always walk to the scene, oh. calmly assessing the situation. Wow. So when they're there, they're ready to go. They must not,
0: actually take quite a bit of self-control.
1: Oh, can you – if there's a severed leg on the side of the road Stroll and Stroll across yeah, gently. Just, oh, goodness. Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I was so interested in that. And the other thing they said is that if you're doing CPR... Um, and the paramedic thinks you're doing a good job. They won't necessarily take over from you. So oh. it's not like the paramedics say you can, you know, all done. That that they'll they'll do the other things. You they'll know? just
0: admire your work <laughs> while they're smoking a cigarette. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. It sounds like yeah, that's that is surprising.
1: But good good context to have that when you are in an emergency, that yeah. uh, you know they're going to be the cool, calm, collected person making the decisions.
0: Yeah. That is a good point. Exactly. Urgency is not necessarily expressed in in that kind of speed of response or. is it you could be in an urgent situation but still be moving carefully and thoughtfully
1: yeah very much so and it goes to the question you asked me at the very beginning of this uh, episode you know how are you under pressure you actually don't want your paramedic to be a sweaty stressed mess you know when you're in your worst possible situation do you you want them to be relaxed and calm and and really assessing the situation that's right
0: because that's a clarity of thinking isn't it It, Mm. you don't want a, a fight or flight response in an in that kind of emergency Because you're you're doing neither. Yeah, exactly. Jono, I thought was interesting too that he explained that he did a few other jobs before he became a paramedic and he chose paramedicine based on the characteristics that he was looking for from a job, those key things that he wanted.
1: It was so fascinating and that was really one of my my favourite little – bits in this interview that I've just never heard of it before such a Mm. unique approach and it got me thinking about the things that he put on that list were really about intrinsic motivation yeah so what is it internally to him you know that motivates him in the workplace they they weren't extrinsic things it wasn't like I want to earn another twenty thousand dollars yeah I want prestige yeah you know I want to wear fancy clothes Uh, it was really thinking about what gets me out of bed in the morning and I think that it's such a clear-eyed way to approach a problem because that's what's actually going to make you stay in your profession for 13 years as he has whereas that extra $20,000 at the end of the day if you're not enjoying your work isn't that important.
0: That's right and that's something that I think we've both realized over time In our own experience in the workplace, it's a very mature approach to deciding and I think very focused on what you really care about, not what someone else tells you you should care about. It comes back to that principle of knowing yourself and what might motivate Jono might not motivate you or I, but I think having that time to reflect and think carefully, what what do I really love? And so he did that thinking before he joined the job. The other thing that I found interesting was we talked a bit about intuition. I was very curious to understand how much of a role intuition played in his decision-making. And he said that he had really related to that episode from season one that we, where we talked about intuition. We talked about the researcher Gary Klein, and uh, people might find that that episode helpful if they haven't listened to it already. The idea that we amass a certain amount of expertise over time, and that we can take and use that expertise to inform our decision making. Sometimes, in a subconscious way, we're not clear on what it is that we are picking up. There might be very subtle cues that connect with a pattern that we're seeing. But the thing that Jono said was, yes, he does do that, but also paramedics are trained to follow protocols, a series of steps that have been thought out ahead of time that they must follow that will guide them to make the best decision. And I thought that was interesting. He said, sometimes the protocols aren't enough. Or they fall
1: apart Yeah, I thought that those comments were really fascinating too And that it was really about the protocols weren't the problem It was the communication and the teamwork that was the problem Yes And so often humans are the weakness in any good process Yeah You know, you can you can have this amazing plan But, you know, people are individuals and they are flawed And it reminded me of a story I heard recently from a friend Who said in Japan they were having all sorts of problems with accidents around their railways So they created this new protocol which which was really about that kind of communication and it was pointing and naming steps in the process right so rather than just being like yep okay there's no person lying in front of the train yep there's no leg hanging out of the door yeah. you literally had to point and be like no leg no leg <laughs> No, no one do on it. the tracks. Yep. Um, and obviously yeah. that's not what they were doing, but sure. that's the, the vibe. Yeah. That's what um, I'm imagining. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it really reduced accidents because it forced yeah. people to follow the steps because you can have a great plan, yeah. but unless you're actually following it, then it's useless, isn't it?
0: That's right. And and I think it's more than a mental checklist, isn't it? That's the, the key with these protocols. If you're just doing it in your head, that's where you're probably going to say, oh, no, I probably don't need to do that step. Yep, all good. Mm. But it's the... Process of checking carefully, and most or many jobs have some sort of protocol. We might not use the term protocol. I know in the public service they'll often talk about SOPs, standard operating procedures, which you would hope would guide you through uh, step by step to to uh, through a process so mm. that you can make good decisions.
1: It's really just about planning, isn't it? Yeah, planning for success. Because you know, even just at the end of the day, going, what am I going to do tomorrow? By yeah. kind of jotting those things down yeah. rather than just having them in your head, because the next day the things in your head probably will get pushed away by those. Yeah. urgent but unimportant things which yeah. is also a previous episode. Yeah. Uh yeah, so I think it's just good good you can put it into so many different parts of your life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Another thing I found interesting too was that I'd asked Jono about, you know, have you got someone else you can talk to? He said look, you are in teams or you're with one other person in in the context of the local paramedics, but he said you can call a senior person if you if between you you're not sure what to do. He said however, He's the senior person, so he doesn't have anyone else he can call on. So that, I thought that was interesting. And it just demonstrates, again, the importance of him having that level of expertise, which has obviously been mm-hmm. recognized over many years, but also knowing his protocols and understanding, well, yeah, have you done this? Have you done this? It was It was a, a good insight into how decision making is made. And I, I found it reassuring, too, to think, well, as, as I said to Jono, you know, when I flake out on my next run. Good to know that people are around who know what they're doing.
1: Yeah. And if and if those first people who respond don't know what they're doing, there's a backup team. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's right.
0: All right. Well, Tess, what do you think then are the main uh, takeaways for us from today's uh, episode?
1: For me, I think it's really that idea about changing careers or even picking a career if you're a 17-year-old. Do the Jono trick and do that list. Really think about what is it that motivates you to get out of bed? What's going to keep you in the long game, not just in that short term?
0: And some of that, it is hard to know. Look, I'll acknowledge my level of, of self-knowledge is hopefully, I'd like to think, a lot greater now than it was uh, when I was 22 and sort of emerging from uni and wondering what I should do. So I think taking those opportunities to try different things and, and see what resonates as you go and Jono's experience of doing other jobs helped him to realize, well, that's not really for me. Mm. Um, so I think that willingness to experiment and try different things, but then really latching on to those lessons that we draw, that self-knowledge that we acquire and say, right, okay, what does that give me that I can use when I'm making that career decision?
1: Yeah. And I think, which we've mentioned so many times throughout um, the first season, is just values. Yeah, What are your values? What's important to you? Yeah. Because unless you have a good understanding of that, it's going to be really hard to make those decisions.
0: Yeah. And it's great to hear someone talking who has that value of caring for people and wanting to help people. And that that's pretty exciting too. Well, that brings us to the end of the episode.
1: Thanks for joining us in today's episode. I'm already looking forward to the next one.
0: Yeah, me too. Interviewing, it just uncovers some fascinating insights. So drawing on some of that experience and knowledge from people in a range of professions, and I hope you will find it interesting and and as helpful as we're finding it.
1: Yeah. So we're going to be talking to an entrepreneur next episode and similarly very surprising. So I'm very keen to get your take on this, Ken, because it's not what I thought. Excellent.
0: Bye for now.